Today on the Sacred Birth Circle, I'm bringing you a special treat. One of my favorite high-risk OBs, Dr. Tracy Chevelle, is joining us to share all her must-know tips for people who are trying to conceive, currently pregnant, or hope to be in the future. Please make sure that you also follow us on social media and continue to share your birth wisdom with us as we are a community that are trying to help one another have the best outcomes. Welcome to the Sacred Birth Circle. I'm Anna Vick. Today's special guest is somebody I have the pleasure of interviewing before. We have talked about this topic, but I think it's so important to bring it to you here because every person should know how to advocate for their pregnancy, whether you are a normal pregnancy, which we all know can turn into a high-risk situation, or you already know you have some issues going on with your pregnancy. I think for all of us to feel a little bit more in control of our situation is just so helpful, especially with the given climate of pregnancies right now and how everything's being treated. So I just want to go ahead and let my guest introduce herself, and then we'll get started on our conversation about advocating for a better outcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so honored to work with you. My name is Tracy Chevelle. I am a high-risk OBGYN. Um, I trained in the greatest institutes in Manhattan. Um, I worked for 16 years at our local community hospital, which was an incredible place to work um, for 16 years. And then I realized over the last 10 years of my career, I had been initially spending most of my patient interaction time counseling, supporting, going through difficult times, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversation with families. And over the last 10 years, women have just become increasingly disenfranchised um, through no fault of the doctors. Doctors care. Doctors are just as angry at the system as the patients. Um, but I found that women couldn't get through to their doctors because their doctors were part of multi-specialty groups and multi-specialty groups are becoming hospital groups. And, you know, a lot of that was because of insurance and insurance reimbursements. And it basically disconnected a lot of women from their physicians and from the relationships that they had. They were seeing not just one doctor, but the 12 doctors in a practice um, and, Having your voice heard became more and more challenging when you couldn't even really get through to the doctor without a call center hitting you in the face first. And that call center was often in India. And um, I've experienced it myself as a patient. It, it, it just became really unbearable. I was spending an hour with women with really high-risk pregnancy conditions, spending half of that time on the phone with the secretary in the cardiology office who I happened to know, so I happened to be able to get the patient in earlier. And that just felt wrong. And then to make matters worse, the maternal mental health crisis really became, thankfully, something that was brought into the spotlight. But, you know, I always tell patients, don't do a test you're not prepared to act upon the answers to. And we started asking the questions, getting the answers, and we had no infrastructure in place for dealing with it at all. And um, I tried to create a maternal mental health and wellness center and for hospitals that just didn't make money because it wasn't procedure-based. So I just, um, COVID hit, um, my kids were home. I decided to leave the hospital system and regroup. Um, and I had my midlife crisis <laughs> and in a good way. And I realized that, you know, despite the fact that what women needed was an advocate, was a navigator, was a translator, despite the fact that that did not exist, that I was going to take a risk and try to create something new and normalize the ability for women to have someone who was putting everything together for them. And so at the end of December, I opened my own practice called Blue Moon Perinatal. It's really a navigational practice. There are lots of amazing doctors who are making the diagnoses and making the care plans, but I'm helping a woman learn how to understand the information she's given, being given, learn the tricks of the trade to get in a little easier to your doctor, understand what you should be asking in the office because you get 10 minutes and giving emotional and um, resource support for patients as they need it. And it's been an incredible journey. And um, I'm also doing some work now with a company that helps doctors too. I'm doing a, a, some work with a company of OBGYNs who's trying to make things better for the doctors. So I'm hoping that a multifactorial approach will at least make things better for as many people as it can. Yeah. So thanks for having me. Oh, thank you, Tracy. I think what you're doing is amazing. And honestly, I feel like it's needed in this system. Like you said, it's a systems problem, not necessarily 
your doctor. We all must love our doctor. We're going to them. You know, you can choose a new doctor if you don't like it, by the way, you're watching this and you're feeling not heard, you know, please get up and go because that's the start of the relationship. You know, if already you're feeling that way, imagine a complication arise and you just don't trust each other. Really, you need that trust. So I think what you're saying is really helpful. And I wonder, like, is there any tips you're going to be able to give women who aren't going to be able to hire you necessarily, but you know, yeah. we want to touch as many people as we can here and social media is such a good way to do so. And I know like if they're able to, you know, take you and I'm sure your list is long already, but I would definitely recommend calling her because for me, I had a high risk situation after loss as well. So I would have given anything for a Tracy, you know, to thank you. Um, and especially, you know, there's doulas now as well. And doulas are helpful in the sense of like additional comfort level and, you know, helping you understand more the birthing process and not fully going into it blind. If you don't have like a mother who would really explain things that happen in her pregnancy to you, like, you know, a lot of us just come into it learning by ourselves. So I think there's all these resources, but definitely would like to give some tips here today if we can. Sure. Your mom voice, basically. Mom voice is a term we use at PUSH, um, this organization I'm also part of. And we think it's important that you start to think of yourself as a mother as you're pregnant. So what do you think of that? Absolutely. I agree. There's so many things I want to say. First, I just want to make it clear to everyone who's listening that my goal with Blue Moon is not just to take care of people who can pay for it. Um, I really, you know, I've taken on some cases pro bono. Um, I've also, my goal is to build enough of a foundation where my eventual goal is to have coursework online and group sessions for patients to be there per month. So I don't, I've never started this with the goal of only helping women who could pay. In fact, that's absolutely counter to everything I've done in my career. And so I just wanted to put that out there because I want the people listening to know that my goal is not just to see patients, you know, who can afford to pay for a therapist. That's part of the problem anyway, right? People who have money can get more help. And so, you know, it's very important to me um, to see, you know, women who are in situations who are struggling um, and I, I do want that. My goal is to make that, you know, more available for people. And to your point, one of the solutions to making this kind of advice more available definitively involves people like doulas, like health advocates, like peer supporters, because again, what you really need is someone to help you navigate if you're not sure what to do. So let me run from the beginning of pregnancy sort of through just a very basic, what's called a quote unquote, low risk pregnancy. And then we can specifically hit high risk topics. Um, I think that the most important thing when you, when, you, when you know that you're going to begin trying to have a family, um, if you are able, and if the resources exist in your community, there is absolutely nothing wrong with before you try to get pregnant, meeting a doctor or two, if you have, most women have an OBGYN that they're going to before they try to conceive. If you love that doctor and you trust that doctor and they've been doing your PAPs for six years, wonderful, you're, you're in good shape. But for a lot of women starting families, they don't go to an OB until they are pregnant and they get a name from a friend. And then they often will meet a doctor that they like, but they won't know what to ask about the practice. And so my first tip is if you meet a doctor prior to pregnancy, if your OBGYN is like 90 years old and they're your mom's OBGYN, you should do a little shopping. Um, there's keywords to learn um, to sort of get in the back door for different doctors. You can always ask for something called a preconceptual consultation. And your doctor, as long as you have a primary care doctor who can write that you need preconceptual counseling, you can actually have the chance to meet someone. So before pregnancy, what I would always say is see if you can try to do a little research on the practices that you have access to. If you're a woman who has access to a clinic and there's your clinic, we're going to get to plan B in a minute. But if you're a woman who has access to private practitioners through your insurance, then I would suggest making sure you've met with someone actually prior to pregnancy. And the key questions to ask is, number one, what's your practice structure like? How many doctors or nurse practitioners or midwives are in your group? Will I be seeing just you and rotate through the practice? What does your call schedule look like? Will there be 10 different people who could be doing my delivery? 
just to get to know the structure in which you're going to be living for those really important eight and a half months. Um, I think that that's something that most women do not do. That is hugely, hugely invaluable and is really actually quite easy. Again, if you're in a clinic and you're in a situation where you don't have private physicians, is there another clinic in town that you could go to? So just to see what your resources are and your options are before you are enrolling in care, if you think you're going to get pregnant. Um, I would also ask when you go to whatever clinic you go to, whatever practice you go to, what hospitals do you deliver at? Maybe there's a hospital right by your house and that's the hospital you're gonna go to. Ask about if your hospital has a NICU or a neonatal intensive care unit. Because if God forbid something happens, women are often transported to other hospitals. Prepare for the worst, hope for the best, kind of what I always say. And don't prepare for the worst, but know the things that come up in a pregnancy. Um, so again, first, try to figure out who your doctor's gonna be and what type of practice they're in ahead of time. If your doctor has a practice that is heavily weighted with midwives or nurse practitioners, those actually may often be your best resources. While they may not be there doing deliveries, they may be the ones in the office who will spend the most time with you. Um, and I found this uniformly in practices across New York. Um, as long as you are informed and you know what to ask for and you know what to look for, the mid-level providers in a practice are also often really undervalued and underused. Everybody thinks MD, like that's the answer. It's not always. Um, so that's preconception. If you're lucky enough to be in a situation where you're planning to start a family. Um, many women though, just start trying, wind up pregnant, and then what? Mm -hmm. And I do think that for a lot of women that does put you a little bit behind the eight ball, because um, you don't have as much luxury with time, right? To pick a provider. And that's okay, because that's so, so many women. Um, but understand that OBGYNs still deal with women when they, are, when they are pregnant before a first OB visit. So very often you'll pee on a stick, you're pregnant, you'll call the office, you'll know which doctor you wanna see, or you're just going to go to practice X you will be told that you're going to come in between eight and 10 weeks for your first OB visit. Okay. That's a long time. You know, that's a long time to have opportunity for unidentified risk that can be addressed for potential pregnancy complications, like a, a pregnancy that's not developing well. Um, to have someone address your morning sickness or your underlying medical problems. And so again, a little trick for the trade, I don't like to be deceitful, but you can always sort of take a situation that you're feeling and say, I need to be seen sooner. Something doesn't feel right. I'm having high levels of anxiety. I've been spotting, I've been whatever the case may be and asked to be seen early. It does not have to be a first OB visit, but if you need reassurance at six weeks or you're spotting or you're not feeling quite right, I don't really want you to wait till eight to 10 weeks for that first OB visit. And many times doctors won't see you until then. And this is the first point of advocacy, right? You have to speak up for yourself and say you need to be seen unless you don't and you're cool. Like there are some women who are just like, great, I peed on a stick, I'm nauseous. My eight week visit is in 10 days. That's all good. Um, but if you're not one of those women, then this is the first opportunity to advocate for yourself. I think I fell into that category, like you were describing of just like, oh, I'll just go with this doctor. And, you know, because I had no complications with my first one, other than a breach situation, I didn't think I needed um, that one-on-one -on -one care. Cause it's kind of like, I feel like I already know how to be a mom. I already know how pregnancy goes. So I think it can happen to anybody, you know? So this is a really good tip to think about because at the end of the day, each person who sees your baby, yeah, they might do a good thorough analysis, but they don't remember the prior visit. And that's kind of what I was feeling like things were slipping through the cracks, you know, even with just having the ultrasound tech doing something. And I didn't really see communication to the doctor like immediately after. So I was like, did she tell him what she saw? You know, and I was just too nervous, like kind of get in the way of what the process was. Yeah. So yeah. I just like rolled with the punches, you know, and like, oh, okay, they're saying everything's perfect. My baby's perfect. Textbook pregnancy. 
you know, okay, I'll come back and cut whatever amount of weeks they tell me. And I'm never really feeling too terribly off, just a little bit towards the end. But um, I do feel like inconsistency of care is the biggest reason we have so much stillbirth here in this country. And, you know, they're fixing that in other countries with protocols and such, but they can't really do that here where we have everyone doing whatever they want at every hospital, every, you know, group. And so the, the least you can do is try to make sure you have hopefully a consistent care structure or at least fewer doctors involved where mine was like, oh, you know, you can end up with anyone delivering. So you may as well get to know us all. And that way, when we deliver, you know us and we know you kind of like, but really no, like no one's really following the full pregnancy, you know, really knew who my son Owen was like, they just had no clue. Every time I walked in, I was like a new patient to them all. So that it's was terrible. very challenging. It's very challenging. And that is not unique. I mean, that is so so common today. And the idea is that the central electronic medical record is going to tie everything together, but it's not. And so, you know, in situations such as that, and this gets to the next part of the pregnancy, which you allude to, and it's absolutely true. Your journey is probably what the majority of women in this country are experiencing right now. You know, women who are in a group of three or four doctors, it's really rare. It's really rare. And so what I recommend to patients is it's online. It's actually not just an ACOG, which is our governing body, but it's in many sources. What a typical prenatal care course should look like. You'll have your eight to 10 week visit. This is what will happen. Some of the hospital systems actually have them on their websites, what your providers will do for you at your OB visits. And what I will often tell patients is to print that out and keep it with you. It's just one piece of paper. It's at eight weeks, this happens. At 11 weeks, this happens. At 16 weeks, this happens. And you can actually ask. You don't need a copy necessarily of your anatomy scan. You need to know it was done. And I want to address a very common point because this happens a lot and this happens in our unit. Um, whenever a woman has an ultrasound, if the ultrasound unit is a big and busy OB unit and they do a lot of scans, you always kind of want to try. We talked about this during our live. It's really, really helpful if you can see if your ultrasound unit is what is called AIUM accredited or certified. The, the majority of large units and hospitals are. Um, the majority of clinics that have a machine on wheels or not necessarily, but they can do basic exams, and basic scans. But for your big scan, the scan where you look for fetal abnormalities, that should really be done in a center that's accredited to look at those scans. Um, and a lot of times the sonographer will not talk to the doctor because if there's a low risk scan, the sonographers, to be honest, our sonographers were as well-trained as the MFMs, to be honest. So in those type of units, sonographers are often better than the doctors who are signing off on the reports. But there are specific pictures that we are being asked to see as part of a report. And if the sonographer gets those pictures, the patient can leave and the doctor can look at the scan later. And if everything looks fine, the doctor will sign the scan. And so you may, that may happen to a lot of women. And if that happens, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's the way a lot of systems work. Of course, obviously, it's the ideal setting for a doctor to come in after every scan. In reality, it's just not happening today. Even in our unit where we tried to see every patient, it didn't always happen. Um, so that's not uncommon. And so because of that, your sonographer is not going to be able to tell you the results. You can kind of push them. You can say, everything look okay? And they can say, sure. You can also say to the sonographer, do you think the doctor will have to talk to me about the findings later? That's a really key question to ask because that will be a sort of subtle way without being overt of saying what sort of seeing whether or not they, you think you'll get a follow-up phone call, meaning is there something to follow up on? If the sonographer says, no, the report will be in your portal, it's no big deal, your scan's probably completely normal and nobody has to comment on anything. Um, but you can follow up at your next visit after your anatomy scan and you can ask your doctor, how was my anatomy scan? Was everything seen? Was it normal? You know, was there anything to worry about on the anatomy scan? Will I need a follow-up? And you can write it down on your own little health record 
And there you go. And honestly, patients who walk in with a notebook, even if it's like a one pager, the doctors sort of are intrinsically subconsciously paying more attention. You're not being seen as difficult, but you're being seen as someone who is informed and that they have to make sure that they speak to in a way that could go down on paper. And that's super, super, super important. I don't care if you go to a clinic. I don't care if you go to the fanciest doctor in Beverly Hills. If you've got a checklist and that you're not apologizing for having, automatically the doctor is going to respond in a way where they are a little bit more on top of their game. Because as much as you want to connect with them, they're aware that you're paying attention. Mm -hmm. So that's another little pointer I like to give everyone, you know? Make sure you've got your record. So when you go to doctor number 46 that you've never seen before, you can say, okay, this is my 20-week visit. I had my anatomy scan. Did it look normal? Is there anything to follow up on? What's happening today? What should I expect at my next visit? So that's another tip for patients. Whatever visit you're at, with whatever doctor you see, recap, ask them to tell you what happened at your last visit. Have your visit today. And then say, what should I expect at my next visit tomorrow? I'm not tomorrow, sorry, but at my next visit. Because then again, you're forcing them into a mindset of continuity. You're forcing them to look at your last visit, not just look at your big chart and be like, okay, she's got an empty problem list. Everything's fine. This is her 20 week visit. I'm just going to do my things and be done. You're asking them to look back at their colleague's last note, and you're asking them to give you an idea of what you should expect next. So those are some more pointers about sort of dealing with the middle stuff when everything's you know, supposedly going just fine. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is important because we all kind of feel like we have to trust our doctor. We don't know medicine. Correct. So we're going along with the pregnancy, like, okay, we feel pretty good. I mean, things are off on pregnancies. A lot of times you obviously are going to feel discomfort and that sort of thing. But I think at some point in the pregnancy, if you do feel something really different for yourself, like for me, at one point it was my discharge was different. So and I kept going in and they kept saying, no, you don't have any infections. And they kept like pushing it away. And then one appointment I came and I was just in tears. Like, I know it's different. Something's wrong here. And the other doctor was like, well, what can we do? Um, we'll do one more test. And it ended up being GBS infection, which, you know, the wow. next day she called me and she said, yeah, you were right. We're going to treat this now. And I was like, so had I not freaked out, you know, I had a, a surclage. So I had that going on as well. So I was like, this could have been really bad again for my baby and myself. So I just feel like sometimes when you're pregnant, you do go along and you're like, okay, well, they're saying it's fine, but I don't feel it's fine. You know, and so especially you if you're are, somebody, you know, not used to speaking out. So you've talked about the good girl thing before too. And I had that dilemma of like, I don't question authority. You know, I was raised that way. So I know for a lot of women, it's kind of hard to be like doctor in a white coat you're wrong. I'm right. You know? So I'm going to talk a little bit to that. There's a number of ways to kind of get around that because I'm also a good girl. And I feel like whenever patients speak out, you don't want to be seen as like the annoying patient. You know, there was an, there was an episode I'm dating myself here, but we we were watching Seinfeld with my kids. Seinfeld is a great comedy show. And there was an entire episode about how Elaine, one of the main characters on the show, got known as the bad patient. And she was blacklisted from like every doctor. And we see this and we, we, we do feel, you know, as patients in an OBGYN practice that we're entrusting this doctor with caring for not just us, but for our babies. So there's a lot more sort of weight placed on this sort of very um, all-knowing role of the doctor. But a few things, and this speaks to mom brain and mommy instinct. Number one, the person that's the most in control of your pregnancy is actually you. You are actually tasked during those months with growing a human being. So let's stop for a second and let's really think about that, right? You are growing a person. The doctor, the OBGYN is your guide is your medical caretaker to help you identify things that as a physician you may not know and to look for things that will ensure that you are doing a great job growing your baby. But at the end of the day, they're not having your baby, they're delivering your baby. And so it is incredibly important to realize the power of that statement. 
you are growing a freaking human. So when you go, and I, I cannot stress this strongly enough, I do it. We all do it. I made a promise to myself this year that every time I type the words or say the words, I'm sorry, but I'm going to stop. I'm going to think about, can I reword that differently? We all do that in doctor's offices, especially if we don't agree with them. So understand from the very beginning that the best thing you could say to your doctor is, I trust you. I'm here to listen to your advice. I also hope that you can respect me as a mom and my needs. There may be things I may ask you that I may need to ask you twice or three times. And if you lay that out at the beginning of the pregnancy, fabulous. You don't have to say it every time you see a different doctor, but it says something to you to be able to say that in a doctor's office. So remember your role. Remember your power. You know, your image is so beautiful on the background and the Sacred Birth Circle website. Like that's your uterus, right? Not the doctor's. And yes, I cannot stress how important taking a doctor's advice is. However, your role is also, if you don't understand the information, if you don't understand the advice, if it doesn't sound like it makes sense to you to say, can you please explain to me in better terms so I understand why you're making this recommendation? If something doesn't feel right about the recommendation, ask again. Say, I have to go home. This doesn't feel right. This is concerning. And then I tell patients, I feel what I feel is like the bookend of the two kicker statements, right? Number one is, I'm growing a human to think to yourself. And number two, when a doctor is being difficult, when a doctor is not listening to you, when you feel unheard, you can say to the doctor, look, I know you want the best outcome for me and my baby. I do too. We are a partnership here. And I need you to help me understand how I can be okay with what I'm presenting to you. Right? Like, you want a good outcome, right? I want a good outcome, right? How do we do that together? Something doesn't feel right to me. So I think that's easy for someone who looks like us to do. And I just want to acknowledge, you know, birth equity. We are both light-skinned women. So totally right. Uh, if you're listening to this as a podcast, <laughs> we are light-skinned. We see racism in the system is keeping you know, black women from getting the same level of care. They're having totally more right. mortality. Their babies are dying more often. They don't feel safe. They don't feel heard. So I'm curious what your suggestion would be if you live in different skin. I mean, this is, it's not as easy for them to say that and then be heard even like, sure. They'll be like, oh yeah, pff, whatever. You know, they might not listen still. So um, of course we agree like earlier doulas might help navigating the system being by your side like don't go in alone but is there anything else you would suggest a lot of women of color that are having problems are having problems with providers who are also of color so it's not necessarily just a racism intrinsic racism thing which it is in many cases don't get me wrong but even in situations where their providers are of color, they're still not getting heard. And I think it's very important to point out, A, that, that that system that we talked about being broken is even more broken for women in low socioeconomic status groups, period, end of story. It just is. Serena freaking Williams had to demand at a nurse's station that she get seen. That's a situation where I think we're talking about intrinsic bias to women of darker color. I mean, she was not being seen in inner city clinic. That's an inherent racism bias. And so what I would say to that situation is use your voice that is so powerful at home, in your community. Realize that a woman of color, and I, and I, and I, I want to be very careful saying this because I in no way support the amount of medical legality and lawsuits that are going on in our climate. They're bad for OBs. They're bad for patients. But a bad outcome is a bad outcome, no matter what color skin you're living in. And if you can find a way to non-confrontationally and not to come at a doctor as like a, an enemy, but to say, you want this baby to be healthy, right? I want this baby to be healthy, right? You need to pay attention to me because you don't want something bad to happen to this baby. I think that that can work for women of any color skin because it's, at the end of the day, what OBGYNs fear the most 
is a bad outcome, right? Like your doctors don't want you to have a stillbirth, right? Your doctors don't want you to have a preeclamptic seizure. Your doctors don't want you to go home and have a postpartum stroke. I mean, 50% of maternal mortality happens after the birth of the baby, right? A lot of women feel their doctors written them off after the baby's born, which a lot of like conceptually is true in a lot of cases. Postpartum care doesn't end for at least six to 12 weeks, especially if you're high risk. So you are not, all women need to know this too, you are not done when that baby is out of you. You are still very likely to have a major complication and you've got to just know that your doctor has to still listen to you. You don't go, you don't, and I think this is something that is a problem for women in general. Like a lot of women too kind of feel like, okay, I've had my baby. I don't feel good. My OB is kind of done with me. I've had my six week visit. Do I go to my regular doctor? I'm exhausted. The baby's up. I'm pumping and feeding. And that's how bad stuff happens. Trying to give a little bit more tools for families who may not be heard and you want to go to a provider that might actually be better suited for you, the Earth app is a great tool. And that's something that we recommend, if, especially if you're a Black woman going into a pregnancy, because there's actually reviews in there left by others. And I think that's an important way for us to help each other as a community, because, you know, you might have had a horrible experience or just felt written off or something, you know, like you came in with the issue and they didn't really answer it whatever it is, go to the app, put it in there. That will help other women, you know, to make sure that they don't have the same experiences. And it also keep those places accountable so that they won't have like the feeling of like, well, they can keep treating everyone this way. You know, they can't. If you're putting it out there on social media and you're posting it in a review, I think just sharing your experience is helpful for other women. And for you, you know, if you go in and you feel that way, I would definitely recommend finding another provider you know, ASAP for that situation, because you know, like Serena's, I can't even believe it went that way, but you know, it's what's insane. the care that she should have and she was paying for, I'm sure. So it's thankfully honestly, they fought for her, but. Yeah. The other thing, the other thing that's really, really important is not all physicians feel this way, but to me, the worst sentence that a mom can say is something just doesn't feel right. And my hope is that like, I'm not the only one. And so again, I think that, and I'm not talking about making it a veiled threat, but I am talking about reminding the doctor, um, you know, whatever your skin color, especially as a woman of color, that they don't want something bad to happen to you or the baby. And if you feel something just is off, something is not right, they need to help you figure out what it is and how to reassure you, Mm -hmm. you know? I always say for women who come in with decreased fetal movement, there are some women, you know, we have our testing. It's a non-stress test. It's a biophysical profile. If that looks good, your baby's good. You can go home. You can't send a woman home who is still not feeling fetal movement because how the hell are they going to measure what's normal? You just, you can't. And I think that that's frustrating for hospital systems. I think it's frustrating for, um, places where there's already really limited resource. Um, many hospitals can't really do prolonged monitoring that easily. But again, you say to your care provider, you're my partner in this. You don't want a bad outcome. I don't want a bad outcome. How do we, how do we address this? Right. I think for a lot of us, it comes down to a fear of like, if this isn't covered by insurance, you know, I can't afford, you know, a huge bill that might come my way. So you kind of feel like, oh, do I make a big thing of this? Do I stay overnight? If they're saying there's not enough reason to keep me, you know, um, unfortunately, I, I lost a son. So for my pregnancy after loss, once we found there was like a low fluid at the end, I said, I'm not leaving here. And I don't care what it costs, because we will pay for it the rest of our life to not lose another child, you know. Um, but I know yeah. not everyone has that feeling or luxury or even understanding that it can go that wrong. You know, this change you to lose a child, you kind of realize, well, this is not just a feeling. This can actually be my baby passing away again or myself. So, yeah, like I think most mothers going into pregnancy, we have all the Instagram pages. And that's why we wanted this different space, because we're the reality, you know, it can go wrong. And there are a lot of complications and times when you will need intervention. And if you're searching on like Instagram, seeing beautiful births, natural birth, everything went perfect. I went over term. I had 
my double V, you know, V back. Yeah, vaginal birth yeah, after yeah. cesarean. That's yeah. what I bet. Yeah. So yeah. like all these situations you see highlighted, like that is awesome and it's a miracle and it's beautiful and it happened for them, but it's not the case for everyone. And I think when you're seeing that, it kind of creates this like sense of, um, well, I'm untouchable and my pregnancy is perfect. My baby's perfect. I'm a healthy woman. I was that woman too. So how did my baby die? So oh. that's where we want to just kind of present a little reality check, you know, um, and we don't want everyone going around freaking out about every symptom either. But if you have a symptom, you need to report it. You need to use your mom voice. That's the, you know, topic of this little discussion, because a mom voice is just like literally advocate for your baby. Like if your child was here alive, you would say something if your baby was sluggish and right down on the couch and like not wanting to play like he normally does. And you're like, well, why is he not playing in there? Oh, well, the doctor said he's fine. No, go back in there and say something, you know? That's right. I think that's a really beautiful way to put it. I think that no mother would let somebody blow off their kid. I think that, you know, whether you're in an underserved community, whatever color skin you have, if you were in a pediatrician's office, um, and your kid was clearly not feeling well, or you were worried about your kid and your pediatrician was like blowing you off, you'd get pissed, right? And you'd, you'd really make sure that you were heard, I hope. Um, and it's the same thing. You know, it's the same thing. You are, it's actually even more important because your baby, as you said, is hidden, right? You can only, you know what you're feeling in terms of fetal movement. Only you know what feels right. Only you know how your body feels. And you have to take care of your body during pregnancy because, again, you're supporting the growth of a life. And so you've got to speak up for two people. And the, the one thing, again, I've said it probably 10 times already this hour, but please never say, I'm sorry, I have one more question. Don't freaking apologize. Again, it's your job to grow a human and it's your doctor's job to keep that human safe. You are a team. You are a team. And so if you are asking a doctor something that seems like overkill, uh-uh, you are helping. And you can say this, like, I want to help you give me the best outcome you can. Because sometimes a doctor needs to hear that, needs that reminder. Like, hey, I don't just run, run to the next room. Like, my job is to help keep this baby safe, not just do the ultrasound and check the box for the blood work. And they mean well. That's why every... Nobody went into OBGYN, I could promise you, to do anything other than like cry when babies are born and how beautiful it is, right? Everybody goes into it for the right reason, but something happens along the way, you know, and there's burnout and there's just, it's, 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 it's so important to, and I don't think women do this enough, remind your care providers that you are in this together and that they want a good outcome just as much as you do. Mm -hmm. And since they're not living with your baby 24-7 and you are, it's really important to get information from you. Right. And in stillbirth prevention, we've learned the mother's intuition actually comes up a lot for a lost mother to say, I felt something was wrong at the end. And whether or not she communicated because she didn't know about stillbirth or she did say and the doctor just like, oh, no, things have been well come on your appointment, you know, or didn't tell her about kick counting and like what that even means, how often the baby should be moving or anything. Like, I think that's what's so important for us with the mom voice thing too, is like, you already have that bond and connection with the baby and the understanding, like you just said, like if they're well or not. So just always speak up with that because you don't want that feeling of regret later that you didn't say it. And even if you did say it and then you allowed yourself or your doctor just pushed you out the door, you know, whatever the case, we never say it's the mother's fault, but you do have this innate feeling. And so use it, you know, really rely on that intuitive. Absolutely. Feeling. Absolutely. And again, you know, speaking from the other side of the table, remind your doctor but they don't want something to happen either. Just like you're worried, like if you're worried, they should be worried, right? They should be worried too. And they are, and we have tests. And if this test passes, click, you're fine. The baby's fine. However, you know, they really want your baby to be okay too, remember? So. Yeah, and then I'll say also for the statistics, it happens more often for a first time mother. 
So we still, like, I was a second time mom. So I knew what pregnancy was like. I didn't really have any huge red flag until the end. And that's when I went in and it was just too late for a cord compression situation. But um, for many cases, if you start to feel like a change in movement, that's enough time for you to get there quickly, have them intervene, hopefully deliver. If there was an issue going on, they can check, you know, and get your baby out in time. Um, but the fetal movement is the first change. So that's why we emphasize so much the mother understanding movements yes. and, you know, not and getting a certain number of kicks, but just knowing how your baby's personality is like, that's right. understand your baby. That's right. Because one of the things that comes up a lot when we have these conversations about decreased fetal movements is a lot of times doctors will say, well, babies move less or their movements change at the end of pregnancy. Sometimes the quality of movement that you appreciate does change. So you made a really important point. It's not necessarily like the number of movements as much as the quality of movements. And if you do, there are many women who I've seen, thousands of women with decreased fetal movement at term where the movement is different because the baby is big and running out of room and the placenta is in the front. And so what we'll do is we'll look with the ultrasound. Hey, there's a movement right there. It's a good, strong, it's a movement where the baby moves and flexed, and it, it's, a, it's a really good sign. Did you feel that? And then the patient will say to me, actually, I did. I didn't realize that was movement. And so you can help as a physician if you're saying to someone, Yes, you're, you're the change in movements that you're noticing. I'm going to pay attention to it. I'm going to analyze it. Because sometimes the quality of the movement changes, but you should still be feeling movement. And so sometimes that ultrasound to see the movements, if you're being assessed, you should always ask the doctor to see what they're talking about in terms of fetal movement. So you can make sure that you feel what they're seeing to, uh, to help you understand the quality of the movements. Mm -hmm. It's a great I'm point. And the placenta and the cord is not always looked at. So for us and stillbirth prevention, that's another big area that we're trying to emphasize because your baby could be moving less because they are getting less nutrients or the cord is wrapped in such a way that their body just isn't moving anymore. And then there's going to be a cord compression happening at some point. So um, at the end of the day, I do think we kind of over give value to these tests that are run on the baby. And then if yeah. the mother still feels wrong, they send them home and then this tragedy occurs. So I think even more weight should really be put on what the mother's feeling uh, because many of us have said something and like, oh, the NSC was great, go home. Next day, come back, no baby, no heartbeat. You know, Absolutely. so the heartbeat's the last to go. So that's what's tough. But uh, for us, we just really emphasize on the mother's intuition because Totally. I, I have so many friends now, like now that I'm in this community, unfortunately, that follow me every day. And the last photo they posted was this beautiful baby shower, everything perfect. The woman with perfect, you know, vision of health, a young girl, you know, first pregnancy even maybe. But next picture, our baby was born still. I'm like, oh my God, like it just breaks my heart. And I'm like, what happened there? You know, and sometimes they know, sometimes there's unknown causes for like over half of our losses because there's just not enough in terms of information and like not every hospital has the right pathologist to deal with babies and everything like that so we don't all get a cause but there are ways to find that out you know if you guys are a lost parent please reach out because we do have a lot of resources for that but it's just sad because then the parent is left thinking well what did I do you know was it me and you know there is something usually underlying that happened there but will it be found out? Maybe, maybe not. So, you know, we are advocates. We try to get everything, you know, improved in the system with the Shine for Autumn Act right now that we hope everyone will support. That's going to hopefully go to the Senate and increase the amount of research and everything that they're going to do on like these actual losses so that we can understand and better improve the care for others. But that's um, to me, like where we have to focus because these are third trimester babies, like full-term babies, even due dates or after due dates. And people are acting like, oh, well, you know, sometimes that happens. I mean, that's what my doctor said. Sometimes healthy babies just die. I'm like, who the heck is that to someone who just lost their child? Oh, so. and I do want to, I do want to point something out just on, you know, this note of advocacy for your child. That's really, really important because I can see the two kind of going together. And you talked about this. I am not in any way stressing. I think there's a really fine line between saying I'm growing a human. I'm going to advocate for my baby. I'm going to, you know, speak up. That's to be heard before 
the end of your pregnancy. If something happens, God forbid, it's not your fault that you didn't advocate hard enough. It's not your fault that you didn't do a good job growing a human. A, sometimes bad, horrible things do happen, medically explainable things. And B, sometimes, you know, things are out of our control. Um, but again, I don't want that to turn into self-blame and self, you know, doubt and guilt after the fact. There, It is a separate mindset. So I'm, I want to stress that very clearly because just because you're taking over with a voice to make yourself heard during your pregnancy doesn't mean a bad outcome is your fault. In fact, it rarely does. I mean, I can't, you know, there are very few things that, you know, involve a mother's body that can cause something to happen, you know, and yeah. a car accident, God forbid, where there's trauma, you know, a, a serious, you know, cocaine abuse. These are, these are acute things that can cause harm to a baby. Other than that, preeclampsia is not your fault. A cord compression is not your fault. None of those things are a mother's fault. So I'm so glad you mentioned that because I, I do want that to be an inherent part of my message to, you know, learning how to self-advocate, but not then taking on all the responsibility and guilt if there is a problem. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's definitely what we also agree with the organization I'm with, Pusher Empowered Pregnancy is, you know, we are trying our very best to decrease stillbirth in this country, but we know we can't prevent all because unfortunately there is still a 10% genetic and there's still a good gap of them that we don't even understand how to prevent. And then the ones that we do, it's placenta cord related. So really that's not on you. You know, that's something totally. that can hopefully be catched and we're working on like improving a care so that that will be catched by your provider. Um, and then movements is to us the only tool we can really offer you. So that's why we focus on that so much. But even that, like I noticed the change I got there, it was just still too late. Uh -huh. So, you know, it sucks. It's just what it is, you know, bad luck for me. But I do think I, the more I talk about it, I feel like some mother and I know it has happened because I've had moms tell me they've watched my lives and they say, yeah, if it weren't for you saying that, I wouldn't have said something. So awesome. this baby's here amazing. now, yeah, and I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait to hear the story, you know, and then they feel like so glad because their parents are not talking to them about this, you know, nobody else is saying it because they don't necessarily know, you know, about fetal movement. This is a kind of new discussion in our country. So, you know, Count the Kicks is the other program I'm with, and they're doing a great job trying to spread it all around the United States, but it's not everywhere yet. And, you know, there's a bill out for that as well right now. So we're hoping, you know, eventually everyone will know that that's just like common sense, just like now we're trying to say sleep on your left side, that might help with the blood flow to the placenta, you know, any little thing we can say, obviously no smoking, everybody knows that. So don't <laughs> emphasize smoking too much. But if you are a smoker, please try to get help as that does increase your risk. But, you know, for the most part, we feel like a lot of the women we see are low risk women, women yep. that had nothing actually that's statistically that you begin your pregnancy as a low-risk pregnancy there's more yeah. of those that have stillbirth than people you know with all the high-risk situations because obviously you're in better care if you're a high-risk patient as well you're in a different totally. class you know I had the best care possible with my pregnancy after loss you know so many tests and additional NSTs and he started them early for me because I was so scared you know I was like can we just start it at 28 weeks because you know, my son passed at almost 32 and I didn't want to wait till 32 to start him. Cause I'm like, I don't know what happened at that point. So I need That's to right. start monitoring sooner. So, you know, as much as I was the squeaky wheels, they finally let me do what I needed, you know, to get through that. Okay. So Anna, I just want to address that point. You know, I always, I'm a high risk OB and I always recommend for a third trimester stillbirth, if it's possible to start testing four weeks before the loss. So you're not such a squeaky wheel. It's really hard to do testing at 28 weeks to keep a baby's NST, you know, the heart rate tracing on the monitor because they're small and they move, but you are not the squeaky wheel. I mean, that is for, for a mom with a loss, you have to be treated totally differently in your next pregnancy. And any doctor who says, you'll go, no, we don't need to deliver you early. We don't need to, you know, maternal anxiety is not an indication for delivery. And you got to be really careful there really, really careful because I cannot overstress and we will learn more, you know, in the years ahead, but really toxic stress is not good for a baby. Mm. So I cannot imagine, I can't tell you how many times, you know, we, there's, there's been a, a reason found surprisingly for delivery because who could do that? 
Who could ask a mom who lost a baby at 32 weeks to go to 40 weeks and wait for labor? Some women want that. God bless them. That's amazing. If the baby's well, more power to you. But you have to have input in your birth plan, Mm -hmm. especially after loss. And don't ever feel, look, again, like, you know, this is what we do. Like, don't ever feel like the squeaky wheel. You did the absolute right thing. You did the absolute right thing because what you did is by lowering your stress levels and by lowering your having to suffer without knowing, you put your baby's brain in a better state for optimal growth. You know, there is research that chronic stress affects brain development. And that's not to stress anybody out further. <laughs> I know, it's <laughs> like, like, oh, I can't be stressed. Right. I hate saying that. Okay. Don't be stressed. And if you're stressed, it's worse for them. You know, I really only quote those statistics in moms whose doctors are being jerky about prenatal loss monitoring. um, And also for women who have, you know, real anxiety, Um, you know, that, you know, and also women who are afraid to go on medication who really need to. Mm -hmm. Um, But, 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 but don't ever feel like relieving your anxiety in pregnancy, I hope in five years time is going to be seen as an intervention for a medical condition. I hope, I hope, but a lot of my hopes are, a lot of my hopes are on the line right now. So we have pedaled backwards a little maternal health right now. So it is a very scary time to be pregnant. And I just want to include that in the conversation just at the end, because I do know women pregnant after loss who understand, you know, the things that can happen in pregnancy. It's not always beautiful. Everything's perfect to the end you know, at 20 weeks, you might get some information about your baby being incompatible with life or yourself, you know, your ectopic pregnancy could kill you. I mean, there's so many things that, you know, in high-risk situations happen and there has to be a decision made that is not one the parent necessarily wants to make. And so what's happening now is making people scared to even become pregnant again, especially if they've been through hard pregnancy where they're like, well, I don't know, like, last time I lost my son or last time I had preeclampsia. So should I get pregnant right now? Like it's really scary time to be a woman period, but let alone, you know, trying to be a mother. It is a devastating time to think about pregnancy. I mean, we are asking for thousands and thousands of unwanted babies to be born that we already can't freaking feed the babies we have, that we already have a crisis in terms of the amount and the quality of maternal care. We are asking these births to happen in tons of underserved states. I mean, the, the ripple effect of what is going on now is just horrifying. So I would encourage all women now that are listening to this for their friends, for their families. A lot of doctors will prescribe it. If you're not on birth control, get a prescription for birth control. You may not need it right now. You may not want to go on it. And I'm sorry if this is cheating the medical system. And I hope nobody who's going to get me in trouble is listening to this, but stockpile birth control, get it for your friends, for your cousins, for your poor you know, niece that lives in Oklahoma, who's 13 and doesn't even like boys. Um, You know, we need to, I I think it's critical for women right now all over the country, not just women, young girls. They talk about, oh, go vote, go vote. You can get pregnant when you're 13 years old and you can't vote for a long time after that, right? Um, So please look for sources where, be aware of where emergency contraception, uh, contraception is available. Be aware of the fact that there are regimens of birth control pills that you can take that can effectively act like the emergency contraception pills. So inform yourself about the resources, inform yourself what is the closest state that allows a termination? What is the closest state that has rules of protection? The, the, I've spoken to many, many friends who are lawyers in the last you know, five days. The, the fact that if you travel from a state to a state where abortion is legal, it will be incredibly, incredibly hard to persecute for that. So please be aware of where you can travel. it's the separate issue and it is a separate issue of women and I'm going to get upset but like the thousands and thousands of women who I have diagnosed with a strongly desired pregnancy where the baby is diagnosed with a a birth defect that makes it either incompatible with life or will risk the mother's life or the baby will be born and suffer tremendously that have made decisions they don't want to make and now are having to make 
a decision to follow through. A, number one, we're telling them what they're deciding is criminal. Like, shame on our government. Shame on you. Shame on you. Shame on these men who've never lived through being pregnant and being in that situation. These are not decisions that are desired by family. And so that's going to become a huge issue. And those women, so when you get pregnant until your anatomy scan, understand the closest states and do not, please, if you make that decision and you travel to New York where you are protected, you are not making a criminal decision. You are dealing with a patriarchy that wants to control women's bodies, period, end of story. Contraception is next, gay marriage is after that, interracial marriage has been brought up. I mean, it is, it is not, this is not saying that abortion is a crime. This is saying that abortion is our choice, not yours. It is a, it is a power struggle. And um, so, so yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. And I, I think that again, my key points are stockpile resources, get prescriptions even if you don't need them, know what states are close to you. There are tons of organizations that will help you if you find yourself in a situation that you don't wanna be in that will cover your cost of expenses, that's the resources to look for. Um, and if you're old enough to vote, go, go vote for somebody who cares about your rights and about your body. Mm -hmm. I mean, the sad thing is the 20 week scan, that's the first time you know any of this stuff. I mean, who wants to know it then period, but if they could Absolutely. tell us sooner, maybe we can make a sooner decision, you know, but you don't want to ever hear that. I mean, I'm a, a mother. I was been at appointments where I'm just waiting for them to give me some news and knowing like it may not go the way it wants and who wants to ever decide that thank god it was never something I had to make a choice about you know we support each other as women and you know your birth may not be the perfect birth that you wished for and we sure hope it is you know but if you're ever in the shoes that any of us have been in you know know that we're not judging and we want what's best for you and your family and your health and you know for you to live I mean, I would not want to get pregnant again, just because I've had three C-sections. So that puts me in danger and I have living children to worry about. So should I go get on birth control now? I haven't taken birth control because I hate how it changes my hormones and I become very awful and, you know, all these things and messes with you. It's not the best tool either um, for women and their bodies, but, you know, we have to do what we have to do. And I feel like I'm nervous now, like I can't get pregnant at this age and with the amount of surgery I've had. So vasectomies, are, vasectomies are underrated. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, I will say that too, because it's uh, sort of sad. Like at the end of the day, there's two here. So why aren't the men pulling in a little bit of the responsibility? Like if we all want to tell people what to do with their bodies, their wombs, how about the vasectomy happens for all men until they're ready to be a dad, you know? I don't think men realize how important it is until it happens when their girlfriend gets pregnant with a baby that they don't want and they're not ready to take care of. Mm -hmm. That is going to be the secondary effect that men who are making decisions do not realize their sons are going to get girls pregnant and they're going to be in situations that they never imagined because yes, it is really a woman's problem, but sometimes it's a man's problem too. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think that it's possible that when that starts to happen at a greater level, we're going to maybe see some ability to look at the options from both sides. And I mean, the truth be told, this is a medical issue. It's a, not a conversation for the government to be involved in, not or especially religion. I mean, religion's being imposed on everyone. This is a religious belief about when life begins and all that that's being used. That's the why justices. The two Supreme Court justices who were responsible for enacting Roe versus Wade when it when it became safe to, cho to choose yourself, both of them were actually staunch religious um, religious people who very much believed, who were very much pro-life, but realized that this was a decision of autonomy and a woman's decision to make a right about right decision about her own body. It was not a religious decision when Roe versus Wade was. Um, enacted. And in fact, again, like the fact that the justices at that point had different religious beliefs that were compatible with the decision that they made, it speaks to how the government was functioning at that point versus how it's functioning right now. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's really hypocrisy because I had a stillbirth and my baby had no rights. I could not sue for my baby. I could not get anything after. I can hardly get an answer. 
everyone just told me get pregnant again. You know, the way I was treated by society after miscarriage, especially where it's earlier, they expect you to just get over it, go, no. go work, go to work the next day. There's no it's, bereavement for you. You don't stay no. home even if you're bleeding still and your breasts are full of milk. You know, there's no support for that. So how come all of a sudden when it's talking about the woman deciding on her medical situation, what needs to be done, now all of a sudden this baby has a value to everyone in the world. You well, know? what you just what you just said is has the potential also to make an impact. If 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 a state like Louisiana is saying that a six-week fetus has rights, then if there's a stillbirth in that state, oh yeah. Can the patient sue the doctor for murder? Absolutely. And we will take so, advantage of that. I mean, if that's where we're headed, and you know, in some way it's gonna help some people, we're gonna definitely use it in the time that we can, but we don't want it to stay this way. But you know, for the time being, if you're gonna say every pregnancy, every, every fetus is alive and you cannot do this and that, well, then you allowed my baby to die. I was under your care the entire time. Right. I was this there. This is a disaster. Yeah. This is a disaster for doctors, for women. It's a total disaster. I mean, it really does. These are the things that I think, you know, I think the ripple effects are things that I'm so aware of because I know this at so many levels, but the ramifications of this are disastrous for everyone, everyone at so many levels. So I just hope we can all use our feelings. We grieve first, then we get angry, but then we have to act in a really smart way, in a cohesive way. Um, pro-life groups that believe this decision was wrong have to get together with pro-choice groups. We have to create a unified, smart front to really get this decision reversed. And it's going to be an uphill battle all the way. Yeah, I don't even know how that happens, but I don't either. You know, but I, God willing, it will. I mean, we've just got to we've just got to start trying to make something happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, the world looks to the United States like we were supposedly we're the best country and all this, but we're going backwards so much and things that I'm like, I wonder what everyone thinks of us right now. You know, it's really sad. Not a lot. <laughs> we're not taking care of each other. No, you know, no. And I mean, as a, a lost mother, I just think it's personally very insulting because, like I said, we don't get the same compassion or support after loss from anybody about the baby that passed no one brings up the name anymore even though these babies had names they were birthed they're full term they had their things in their rooms that we now have to pack away oh. you know and nobody's checking in on you later and saying oh how horrible can I go walk with you can I go and sign that petition and can I you know go and support the act that you're talking about and how much can I donate to research nobody nobody there's no talk it's not all over TikTok and you know, and it really hurts me because I'm like, these are babies that if everyone is so concerned with life, you guys could be helping us. Absolutely so, right. Absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely. Where, you know, it's insulting. And I feel like at the end of the day, it's not about protecting life then because you guys are ignoring uh, babies that are viable, you know, yes, that could be born. Absolutely. So, that, yeah. That's my final statement because I, I don't like to get my personal feelings too much into this, but I love that you shared some of yours because, you know, you're a medical professional, so you know that impact. Um, oh, yeah. Somebody. Oh, this is not something to be shy about. This is not something to be shy about. This isn't, this is, this is a crisis beyond which I don't think I felt in this country since 9-11. I mean, this is really a catastrophic thing for, for, for women. So, um, so at, at least we will say we've given you some tips, at least yes. if you're pregnant and you want to be pregnant, you know, congratulations on that. And, you know, it is a tough journey to get through, but you can find support and it's not all on you. And we hope that you have an advocate, you find someone, maybe even Tracy, go to I'm very basic. My Instagram is at blue moon perinatal. <laughs> my, my website is bluemoonperinatal.com. I wanted to be straightforward and yeah, easy, to find. easy to find. And if you are able to use her, please give her a call. I mean, there's so many times in my pregnancies where I was like, I don't know what this means. I don't know how to read this, you know? And then that is where you kind of go like, well, I'm going to just trust that they know what they're doing. But if you feel something's off, you don't want to just keep going with the flow either. No, for sure not. I'm so glad we got to do this. Thank you so much, Tracy. I appreciate oh, it. Was it was such a pleasure. Anytime. 
everyone use your mom voice remember yes. that yes Tell you're your growing a human <laughs> don't say i'm sorry watch yourself catch yourself make it a mission this month to stop saying you're sorry right and don't say i just you know i've heard of that yep. a lot too you know we have yep. I just want to say this. I just have one question. No, it's just, it's all very important, especially in pregnancy. Amen. So Amen. Put your list out. I love the idea of the list. That's a good takeaway. Um, yeah. You know, write it throughout the week. If you have symptoms or if something's definitely wrong, go in right away. But something that can wait for an appointment, yes. it's good to keep absolutely log, um, but never wait on fetal movement change. That's one thing. Don't go like to your appointment, go right away. So mm. Thank you so much, Tracy. Really appreciate you. Thank you for joining the Sacred Birth Circle. We hope you gained some useful knowledge to take with you on your journey from pregnancy to birth. We thank Dr. Tracy Chevelle for being so open and honest and sharing information that every parent should know. If you found this episode helpful, please help us share it on social media to reach more families and tell them about the importance of using their mom voice. As a reminder, this is not medical advice. All our posts and episodes are meant to help you and encourage you to seek additional information from your medical providers. If you ever have a concern, please go to them. They are your team. They're there to help. Thank you so much for trusting us to be in your circle as you journey through pregnancy and birth. Please make sure you're following us on social media and that way you will get the latest posts and updates on our next episodes. We hope that we will continue to be with you throughout your journey This is so sacred, so beautiful. We are just so honored to know you and get to know your babies. Make sure you're watching all future episodes and previous ones as you will not want to miss some of this womb wisdom that you will not hear anywhere else. Sending love to all of you. Goodbye for now.